You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning. Great being with you guys. Uh, We're going to start off a brand new message series this morning called The Hope of Heaven. I heard a funny story the other day about this pastor who died. Uh, You think that's not funny. And he's waiting in line, though. He's waiting in line at the pearly gates. And ahead of him is this guy who's dressed in sunglasses, uh, cut-off jean shorts, tank top t-shirt, and a leather jacket. St. Peter's addresses the guy who's looking all rocked out. And he says, who are you so that I may know your name, whether to be able to admit you into the kingdom of heaven? And the guy replies, I'm Joe Cohen, a taxi cab driver, New York City. St. Peter consults the book of life, and he sees his name. He smiles and says, ah, yes, a taxi cab driver from New York City. Take your golden silk robe, take your golden staff, and enter into the kingdom of heaven. The guy grabs his new golden staff and his silk robe, and he skips his way into the pearly gates. And then it's the minister's turn. He stands tall and he starts off with a loud voice and he says, Good day, St. Peter. I'm Joseph Snow, pastor of St. Mary's Church for the last 43 years. And St. Peter consults the book and he says, Ah, okay, take your cotton robe and your wooden staff. And the pastor says, Hey, 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 wait just a minute. I've been faithful for All these years, and that man in front of me, the taxi cab driver, got a silk robe and a golden staff. How can that be? St. Peter looks at him and says, well, um, up here, we work by results. When you preached, people slept, but when that man drove, everybody prayed. (laughs) The hope of heaven. What's it going to be like? Today I want to teach you what the Bible has to say about heaven. As I prepared uh, this series, I looked at dozens of books, found a bunch of articles, and diligently worked through the scriptures, spent a lot of time in prayer and solitude. And as I was prepping, I called one of my pastor mentor friends. I sent him an email and I said, hey, you've been in pastoral ministry for 37 years have you ever taught on heaven and like, how, tell me about the impact it had in the services. He replied back and he said, unfortunately in 37 years, I taught on the subject twice. And I thought to myself, wow, aren't we going to spend eternity there? And you teach on it two times? To me, that's just crazy. I mean, that's our final destination spot. We ought to know where we're going. Imagine you get in the car and you say, honey, We're getting in the car. We're going to Colorado. You'll wind up Buena Vista. Collegiate Peaks are there. Arkansas River Valley. You say, we're going whitewater rafting. You walk into the shop and you say, sir, tell me about this river. I hear it's fantastic. And the guy says to you, I don't know much about it. You're like, what? You're a river guide. You say, okay, what about the mountains? Tell me about the mountains. You got Harvard. You got Yale. You got Princeton. Tell me about these mountains. Tell me what it's like. I'd love to go. And the guy says, ah, I've been there once or twice, don't know much about it. When it comes to heaven, unfortunately, there's just not a lot of literature, there's not a lot of teaching, there's not a lot of books on the subject that give us biblical referenced accounts. There are those people that say they died and went to heaven and then they try to give you an account. However, while some of those pieces may be true, what we must look at is scripture. 
I went to seminary at Dallas Theological and I took a lot of Bible classes, a lot of theological classes, and unfortunately they didn't have a class on heaven. I wish they did. Why is this important, the subject of heaven, the doctrine of heaven? Well, practical means, by the end of the church service today, there'll be 6,316 people that die all around the world. The Bible talks about eternal destinations, heaven or hell. I think heaven matters quite a bit. Some people might say, well, the Bible says that the secret things belong to our God, according to Deuteronomy 29, 29. And I say, yes, but finish the verse. The verse says, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. Today, we're going to look at the things that are revealed in Scripture. Some people say, oh, well, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard. We can't know anything about heaven. We'll finish the rest of the scripture. Verse 10 in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, these things God has revealed to us. So we're going to look at the things that God has revealed. There's this overwhelming sense that people, by and large, in America do believe in heaven or hell. But it is just a little bit foggy. Over the next several weeks, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about the place I want to talk to you about, teach you about the people we're going to see in heaven. I want to teach you about the person that we're going to see in heaven. And I want to teach you about the pathway. So if you're a note taker, outline maker, here's what the four-week series is going to look like. Today, I'm going to teach you what the Bible has to say about the place that we're going to in heaven. All about the place, the geographical, spatial terms in which the Bible describes heaven as a place. Next week, we're going to talk about and learn in Scripture, and I'll do my best to teach you what the Scripture has to say about the people we will see in heaven, the people that we're going to be with in heaven. The third week, the person, that person is Jesus, and the fourth week, about the pathway to heaven. So let's get to it. There's too many passages of Scripture for me to do, uh, put them all on the screen, so this is going to be like a lecture for you. Um, you may want to jot down notes. I've put a bunch of Bible verses in your program so you can take those home. My encouragement to you is whatever I say, you can test it with Scripture. We live under the authority of God's Word at North Valley. So test it with Scripture. I'll do my best to reference it in audio when I'm teaching. And then as well, I've done a lot. I've done some work to be able to provide you some Bible verses. Jesus has been working on it. If you're an outline maker, you need to know that Jesus has been working on heaven. In, in John's gospel, he writes and captures the words of Jesus when Jesus is comforting his disciples right before he's going to go to the cross. And Jesus says, hey, listen, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. When Jesus says that he's going to prepare a place, that indicates a place. There's a place called heaven. He says that he is going to go. That indicates travel. So he's going to move towards doing this. And you say, well, Jesus has been doing this how long? Well, according to John 1, 1 through 13, it echoes what the book of Genesis says about the creation of all the heaven and the earths. John 1, 1, 13 says, the apostle John says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning. That's a reference to Jesus. 
In the very beginning, God was there. All things were made through him, and without him, no, not anything that was made was made. Colossians 1.16 says, the Apostle Paul highlights the grandioso scheme of God's eternal plan, how he did everything. He holds the stars, the moons, the heavens, the universe, the galaxy. Colossians 1.16 says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Jesus is a carpenter. His masterpiece is the new heaven, the new earth. So we're learning about that. The first thing that you need to see is this, is, uh, it's there on your notes, I think I jumped ahead, is that the Bible describes a present and a future heaven. I just mentioned a new heaven and a new earth. You might think, what is that? Well, I want to remind you that the clarity of scripture is that if you were to die today, the Bible says, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. The moment you die, it's a seamless transition. There is no purgatory. There's no holding tank. There's no nothing like that. You, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus said on the cross when he was being crucified, he looked over to the guy that was being crucified with him, believed it, the guy believed in Jesus at the last moment. And he, Jesus says to him, truly today, you will be with me where? In paradise. The present heaven that you and I, if we were to die today, is better than what this place is. Jesus calls it paradise. It's a beautiful place. But however, if you go to the back of your Bible, in Revelation chapter 21, the apostle John captures the totality, the final chapter of all of God's working on earth in redemptive history. The apostle John says, then I saw a new heaven... And chapter 21, verse 1, a new earth. Listen to this. For the first heaven and the first, first earth had passed away. The idea of a new heaven and new earth indicates there was an old heaven and an old earth. So what is that? There's a future heaven. There's a future earth. And you say, what? According to Matthew 6, 10, it was the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, Lord, you're the king. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Everything that you want, everything that you will, all of your ways, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think that we're gonna discover that the new, the future heaven is what is written about most of all in the pages of scripture. Why do the prophets, why do the gospels, why do Jesus speak more about the future heaven than the present heaven? Because it's the end goal. It's the totality of everything that is. It's the, the best. Is the present heaven good? Yes, it is. But there's a final new heaven that I'm going to be teaching on over the next few weeks that I think is going to be uh, warranted and supported greatly by scriptures. Imagine you get in a car and you say, hey, I'm going to Oceanside, California. And one last little trip, you're going to take a trip to the beach, enjoy the beach, then you cut, and then you stop off on some reason, you stop off in the middle of nowhere, podunk little town, you stay the night, and then you get to the beach the next day, and you have a great day. You go back to work, you show all the pictures. You don't show anybody the pictures of the place you stayed at that podunk little town. You show them all the pictures of the beach. Why is that? Because that was your destination. 
that little podunk town you stayed in for just one night was just a stopping point, a resting point. The Bible describes the future heaven and gives lots of description about the future heaven, but not as much about the present. Why is that? Because the future heaven is the end goal. It's the whole thing. So when will that happen? That will happen when Jesus come back, comes back to reign and to rule. We'll get to that on the third week. I told you already that Jesus has been working on this. He is a carpenter. He's the one building it. And next you need to know that heaven is a far greater place than the place we live right now. It is a place. There is a spatial terms to it. Jesus has been working on it. But heaven is a far greater place. Revelation 21.4 says, He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Luke 23.43 says this, he, Jesus says again to the, the criminal on the cross, today I'll see you with me in paradise. It's paradise. It's far greater than the place we live today. Randy Alcorn wrote about heaven, classic foundational book on heaven. I'd encourage you to pick it up. It's a big, big, thick book. We've got these little tiny pamphlets we're giving out as a gift to, for those of you who want to join a neighborhood group. But he's got great resources. Here's what he says about heaven being far greater. He says, there's no death, no suffering, no funeral homes, no abortion clinics, no psychiatric wards, no rape, missing children, or drug rehab centers, no bigotry, no muggings or killings, no worry, no depression, no economic downturns, no wars, no unemployment, no anguish, over failure and miscommunication, no conmen, no locks, no death, no mourning, no pain, no boredom, no arthritis, no handicaps, no cancer, no taxes, no bills, no computer crashes, no weeds, no bombs, no drunkenness, no shootings, no traffic jams, no accidents, no septic tank backups, no mental illnesses, no unwanted emails, close friendships, but no clicks, laughter, but no put downs, intimacy, but no temptation to immorality, no hidden agendas, no backroom deals, no betrayals. Imagine mealtimes full of stories, laughter, and joy without fear of insensitivity, inappropriate behavior, anger, gossip, lust, jealousy, hurt feelings, or anything that eclipses joy. That will be heaven. Heaven is a far greater place. But you say, what will it be like? It will be like, according to scripture, it'll be like a garden city in a country. Heaven will look far more like the place that you and I know now. So, It'll be like a garden city in, let's put it up on the screen right here. You'll see. There it is. A garden city and a country. Genesis 2.8 says, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he puts the man whom he had formed. In the very beginning, God puts a man in the garden, and then he is to work. It's a beautiful garden. There's perfect harmony with all creation, all plants, all everything. It's beautiful. It's interesting when you look back in at the very end of your Bible, the Bible describes a city much like a garden. There's a tree of life in the center of the city, this capital city, beautiful city. By the, by the, by the streets of gold, there's this beautiful river walk running through the streets. It's a garden-like city. We tend to think that the future heaven will be people floating around in clouds and all these things like that. 
I would argue the scripture doesn't really warrant that idea. The future heaven is described as a garden, a city. Hebrews 11.10 says this, for we, he was looking forward to the city that foundations whose designer and builder is God. Hebrews 11.13 says, for we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. If Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, there is a kingdom. A kingdom has people. A kingdom has a king. A kingdom has territory, borders, places, alliances, uh, structures of nations all around us. I think when we envision heaven, we need to think about planet earth redeemed, restored, renewed, resurrected. It's a planet that has been completely transformed but it was something that was old that was made new. It's still the same earth. Many of you guys have gotten an old car before and then you trade it in, you get a new car. Well, a car is a car. Car has transmission, car has brakes, car has gas, but it's, it's like the old, but it's brand new. The earth that we know, I think, should be an indicator of what the future heaven will be like. The country that we have, the Bible says, Hebrews eleven sixteen, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians that our citizenship is in heaven. We are to be citizens of a new kingdom, a new territory, a new place. Revelation says it's a new Jerusalem, and it's one that where God comes down. In Revelation, the Bible talks about God and he is coming down. His name is Emmanuel. And that means what? God with us. The earth that you love, the mountains, the rivers, the places you go to, the vacations, those are simple little indications, little shadows of heaven, little glimpses of God's good kingdom. So when you go there and you have to leave, like my daughter did the other day, we were up in Flagstaff and she says, Dad, I don't want to go. And I said, well, theologically, we're going to spend eternity in places like this and even better. I think perhaps you might have caught it, some of the, the most beautiful imagination, but rooted in scripture is C.S. Lewis. In all of his depictions of heaven, I think he does a fabulous job. He captures Narnia as this beautiful place, and then Narnia, something happens, and then I not getting all the details exactly correct, but then one of the characters in the story says, well, this new place, this new Narnia looks a lot like the old one. It was a new, wonderful place. I believe that when you get to heaven based on scripture, it's gonna look a lot like the places we've been, the Phoenix that we know, maybe more green, but it's gonna look beautiful. Maybe the city you love, maybe you love New York, Chicago, LA, something like that. It's a glorified city. It's a resurrected city. It's a renewed city. It's a re revived city. You say to me, well, how do you support that in scripture? Revelation, Jesus says, I make all things new. Some of you might say, yeah, but Jesus said the old will pass away. The earth will be no more. The earth will be no more as you know it. It'll be different, it'll be better, it'll be the biggest, it'll be the best. The Grand Canyon won't be the Grand Canyon, it'll be the grandest canyon. Niagara Falls will be beautiful, even bigger, more gorgeous, more beautiful. The Apostle John describes the new earth and, and the future heaven as a beautiful city. The foundations of the wall of the city will be adorned with every kind of jewel. The wall was built with jasper while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. There'll be a capital city. That will be Jerusalem. Jesus will reign and rule on a physical earth called in the capital city of Jerusalem. 
It'll be a whole new country. It'll be a whole new world. It'll be a whole new planet. It'll be a whole new galaxy. It'll be a whole new revived, restored place. And the beauty that you see now will just be glimpses. And the ugly that you see now will be no more. In verse 22, in Revelation 21, it says, And I saw a new temple. I saw there, there was no temple in the city. There's not worship services like we know them. There's no temple. Why? The scripture tells us, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty. Emmanuel is with us. We are in the presence of the Lord all the time. The river of water of life, bright as crystals, flowing from the throne of God in the middle of the street of the city. This is a magical place. Narnia's got nothing on what heaven's got. This is a magical place. Also on the other side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding fruit each month. Heaven is earth made new, a world restored, redeemed, resurrected, remade. It'll have gardens, parks, cities, countries. It's a perfect planet, a perfect universe, a perfect galaxy. The best vacation is only a glimpse. But what about simple things at this place we call heaven? Will there be time? There, I think the Bible says there will be time. We're not just going to go into heaven and strum a harp and float on the clouds. You'll learn about what we do in heaven next week. But there will be time to keep. You say, hang on just a second. Well, Revelation 6, 9 through 11, the apostle John captures a conversation of those that have died it, for their faith, those are called martyrs, and they're in heaven. And they petition the Lord and they say, how long until your kingdom come? How long? And the, the martyrs are encouraged to hold on, to rest, and to wait just a little bit longer. If they're, follow me, if they're, logically, if there was no time, then why would they ask a question like how long? If there was no time, then why would the response be, you need to wait a little bit longer? Some of you say, well, I need more support for Scripture in that idea of time. Well, in Revelation 22, 22 I'll paraphrase, but the Apostle John says there's a new earth. That means there was an old one. There's a new heaven, a future heaven, and the river of life that flows near the streets, and there will be a tree of life. Tree of life sound familiar? Sounds a lot like the Garden of Eden. It's Eden restored, Eden redeemed. Eden and earth coming together, a garden city of God. There'll be this tree of life with 12 kinds of fruits yielding its fruit each month. There's a season. There's a cycle. There's time. You say, well, what else about time? Well, there's music. Music has tempo. Music has meters. Music has a beginning, a middle, and an end. There will be time. Some of you are, make, have made a habit of being late. Don't worry. You'll be on time when you're in heaven. Last, last question I've received about the place of heaven over the years is, will my little dog Fluffy be with me? And I always respond and say, yes, I think Fluffy will be with you. And then somebody says, well, what about... Uh, you know, my cat. And I say, no, cats don't make it. <laughs> Listen, Adam was surrounded by animals in Eden. He walked with them. He named them. 
Did you know the Bible says, and it was good. Noah was surrounded by animals in the ark and then on the new earth. And he walked with them and he sent them off. He saved their lives once it was flooded. He built that ark and got the animals on there. And then Jesus, at his birth, he was surrounded by animals. Let me tell you something, friends. The Bible says in Proverbs that a godly man takes care of the welfare of his animal. There's this really cool connection with a cat or a dog. I don't know how to explain it, but it just does feel kind of right to say dog is man's best friend. Just some kind of special bond there. People use dogs today, service dogs for the blind. They use them in the military. They use them for police to stop drugs coming into our places where they can smell them out. Or we use them just for pets and we love them. Or the cats, they bring comfort. I wasn't much of a cat lover and then we got one and we named, I figured since you're a cat and you're new to our household, you better have a job. So your job is to kill the scorpions. Did you know that? Cats can kill scorpions. So now you're going to go out and buy some cats. So we got this cat, and I named him what I thought he should do. And I said, you're a hunter, you hunt. So your name is Hunter. So we put him loose, and Hunter does kill scorpions. And he also brings out little lizards and all his other little prey, and he lays them on our front porch to show off how good of a hunter he is. In the book of Genesis, the very beginning, it says, and God made the beasts, the earth according to its kind, the livestock according to their kind, and everything that creeps along the ground to its kind. And God said, it's good. And then he looked at everything he made, and he goes, everything he made, and he goes, very good. God loves animals. There's no reason to think that there wouldn't be animals in heaven if he created it. Genesis 6, 18 through 20, I'll paraphrase, once the... God had flooded the earth by his judgment. He says, I'm going to establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, your family, the covenant, the rainbow is a sign and a symbol that God loves animals and he loves people. He says, this covenant I establish with you and you shall come into the ark, your family of every kind, living thing, birds according to their kinds and of the animals according to their kinds, two of every sort shall come in you to keep them alive. God's plan is to repopulate the earth. That's his creation. He loves it. God loves animals. He loves birds. He loves fish. And he loves people most of all. Romans eight nineteen and 23, the Bible describes that all the creation is kind of waiting and kind of groaning, kind of like this anticipation that somehow, some way, God's going to restore and redeem all things. When Jesus was said in the Gospels, when he was walking around and people weren't praising him, he said, if you guys don't praise me, the rocks and the trees will cry out and worship me. God is in charge of all the creation. The whole creation is waiting for the world to change. You might have heard that John Mayer song, Waiting on a World to Change. That's where we're at. We're waiting for the world to change all of creation is awaiting this thing. You don't know and I don't know if our dog or if our cats know these kind of things, but they are God's creation. Isaiah eleven six 6 through 7 describes this new heaven, new earth. 
And he says this, the prophet says, in that day the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. Imagine that. A wolf and a lamb laying down together. They're not killing each other. They're not fighting. They're not becoming violent. It's not the animal channel, discovery channel that you see these fierce creatures crushing each other. They're laying down. They're hanging out beside each other. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. The lion's not pouncing on them. And then it says, and a little child will lead them all. Imagine just your little toddler kid just leading this gigantic lion. What does that remind you of? Narnia. I think Narnia is a good little shadow, a little foretaste. I think C.S. Lewis saw all this stuff and he said, man, I got to fascinate and capture the imagination for heaven. There's far more bigger and better and wonderful things in heaven than we can imagine. Some of you might say, well, what about like dinosaurs? Well, Job says, he speaks of this in Job chapter 40 and 41. There's a description of it. The behemoth and the Leviathan, it seems to be a reference to dinosaurs. In my opinion, I don't see why, from a biblical standpoint, God wouldn't redeem, restore, resurrect all things that he created. He created those. All plants, all animals, all people resurrected changed, renewed, revived. So in heaven, if you see me riding a gigantic brontosaurus, <laughs> you can get on, on with me. They won't bite. What about talking? Revelation 8.13, eagles talk. Revelation 5.13, creatures in heaven on earth and under the earth are singing. Animals are singing in heaven. Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one who's sitting on the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Amen. In Psalms 148, 7, in chapter in 10 and 13, on through Psalms 148, it says, praise the Lord from the earth. And then it goes on to say, all the wild animals and the birds, they're being charged to give praise. The birds are singing. You could watch a Discovery Channel and you can see these birds. Some people, there is this little random rare dialect where birds talk and people can talk to them and all this other stuff in these remote jungles. The communication with animals is far beyond us. But in heaven, they're singing and the words are holy, holy, holy. You may say, well, the, the Greek word for creature, what is that? Is it an angelic creature or is it really like an animal? Well, the Greek word translated for living creature is zoon. And throughout most of the New Testament, the word is translated animal. Animals will give God praise. In Genesis 3, 1, we see there's a snake that can talk. And he's said to be more crafty than the others. So that implies that the other creatures were a little crafty. The snake is more crafty. And also in Numbers 22 and 28 through 30, we see that a donkey talks. In God's history of the world, there are animals that talk. Last weekend, um, I went up to Flagstaff and I took my dog out. I'll show you a picture of my dog. Um, her name is Zona and she's an English pointer an LQ English pointer, and she's in training for quail hunting, and she loves it. And uh, her full name is Miss Arizona. She's precious. So it's funny. I'll say, do you want to meet Miss Arizona? And then I show them. They're like, a dog? I'm like, yes. 
Uh, we were up in, in Flagstaff the other day, and uh, I took her out, and I worked her in this big field, and she was probably about half a mile away, up to three quarters of a mile away. And I can call her on a whistle and do that kind of thing. And she's learning. She's a pup. And so we communicate. But what I've learned about training dogs over the years is that, listen, it takes time to communicate. Most of those dogs, they just, they have a hard time understanding English, you know, and they speak dog and we speak English, but they want to communicate. So Zona ran off. She didn't quite understand what was going on and I lost her. And I spent a couple hours of the day worried about it. And my little girl, Bio, was with me and she's starting to cry and she's upset. Dad, we lost Zona. Dad, we lost Zona. And I said, man, you know, this is funny. I read an article the other day that if you take off an article of clothing and lay it on the ground, and if you have to leave, then the dog might just come back and be right there. Why is that? Dogs, I don't know. I don't know how dogs can, can smell and communicate and think and all that stuff. So anyway, long story short, we leave, we go look miles elsewhere for my dog. And we can't find the dog. And we come back and they're right where my truck was parked, where I set an article of clothing. Guess who's sitting there? Little Zona. She's wagging her tail. She's so happy to see me. We left that day and Maya said again, dad, I don't want to leave. I love being up here. And I'll tell you, when you study the Bible and when you see the beauty of Scripture and the promises that we have as Christians, it ought to give us hope. Because I could leave that place that I was at and say, heaven's going to be far greater than this. That was good. And I've got to go back down to the valley of the sun. But heaven's far greater than what I just experienced up there. I'll get eternity to do those kinds of things. I don't know. I dream of things like this. When I get to heaven, I'm going to go bird hunting with my grandpa. I'm going to go bird hunting with Leslie's grandpa. They were all bird hunters. And you say, well, what are you going to shoot animals in heaven? I don't know. We'll get there and figure it out. <laughs> so my challenge to you is this. Tell someone. The Bible says is that you've got a hope that's within you. You are the messengers. The one thing that we can't do in heaven is we can't evangelize. We can't share the gospel. We can't share the good news. Once you're there, you're there. My encouragement over the next few weeks is just, would you tell someone about the hope that they can have in heaven? Right before uh, Leslie's dad passed away, she called me and she said, um, sweetie, Ryan, I don't know what to share with my dad. And I said, well, we know he's a Christian. He was on his deathbed. Hospice had come and really provided excellent care for him. And I said, sweetie, Let's read the Bible together and tell him about heaven. And in his last days, he got a glimpse of the goodness and the glory of heaven. And I can say, he was, he was not afraid. When we have heaven as our north star, it changes the way we do life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege and the honor to teach the Bible. I pray for my friends that may not know you, that they would place their faith in you. They do not know, some here do not know if they are going to that place called heaven. Right now, Lord, I just pause for a moment and want to help. 
with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if that's you, I just want to encourage you to do this. You can place your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that you will be saved. The Bible continues to say that you are adopted into his family. You're made a child of God and you have a new future, a new promise, a new destination and that home is heaven. So pray just silently from your chair that prayer. Lord Jesus, today I acknowledge my sin. I believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, that he is the son of God and my savior and I confess him with my mouth today as my Lord and savior. And for all of us, might we pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, today, we come before you. We pray that you would fill us with the hope of heaven, that you would encourage us, lift us to live with intentionality now so that we can best prepare for this new place called heaven where we will spend eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.